When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. We're here for another film study. This time we're joined by Gabriel Ferguson. Gabriel writes for Baltimore Sporting Life and does a lot of good stuff. If you haven't checked out his work, I want you to try and do that. But we're going to talk about the Ravens' situation entering the offseason at outside linebacker. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Life's good, Gabe. Can't complain. So let's make sure I got everything right in terms of your intros here. BSL, been writing there for how long? That's correct. I've been writing there for about, I'll say, four years now. Um, Okay. Yeah, I've done a lot of work in the past uh, looking at drafts, like looking at different prospects, breaking them down. Um, I was doing a weekly preview every week, um, kind of moved away from that now. But, you know, it's kind of just doing a lot of Ravens coverage. That's it's pretty much my role in the site. But, you know, there's a lot of great content there. If you're looking, if you're an Orioles fan in particular, we do a lot of Orioles stuff, too. So, hmm. yeah, it's a good. It's a good website. All right. I'll see you. How about on Twitter? Where do they talk to you? So my Twitter handle is at Gabe Fergie, uh, G-A-B-E-F-E-R-G-Y. And, you know, mostly you see me talking about the Ravens. 
it's probably the most interesting thing to me to follow on Twitter. So yeah, right now for sure. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get back to the Ravens outside linebackers because it's an interesting group and they're in turmoil. They're in disarray right now because we don't know what's going to happen in Matthew Judon entering this offseason. So I thought we'd go through in, in an order that I have here. It doesn't have to be in this order, but let's talk about Matthew Judon in terms of what he brings to the table this year, how much they used him, all the, the pertinent information and, and try and get to what do the Ravens do about him contractually. Yeah, uh, well, let's start with the contractual issue. I saw some things being uh, posted, you know, maybe he's a candidate for the franchise tag. And I think that's probably the biggest question that the Ravens are going to have in the offseason is, is Judon worthy of getting the tag? You know, it's a pretty costly transaction that takes up almost half of the cap room that they're going to have this offseason if they want to go that direction. Now, obviously, Judon had a really strong season this past year, I think. He was the most consistent, most, you know, outstanding performer on the defensive front seven by a wide margin, I would say. Uh, um, maybe. Well, well, I think I think I agree, including the other, yes, including the other defensive linemen too, as well. But certainly of the outside linebackers, he played eighty-one percent of the snaps in two thousand nineteen, significantly up from his two thousand eighteen snap count total, was around sixty-seven. But uh, very effective. Uh, got, had a ton of quarterback hits, fourth in the NFL with 30-something. Yeah. I think it was 33. Uh, certainly a guy who is about the only one-on-one pass rush threat the Ravens really bring to the table. Yeah, that's definitely probably the area where he excelled the most compared to the other outside linebackers that the Ravens had. Um, you know, he did have a few issues, I would say, when the Ravens were not blitzing. I think when you see him... In like a four-man pass rush when he's just lined up um, trying to beat the offensive tackle by himself. I think he wasn't as consistent. I think in the different blitz packages that Wink would uh, use, then he was probably at his best because he could move around everywhere, really, which was a, a pretty big part of the defense. We saw a lot of that. We saw Ferguson stunting a lot to the inside whenever they would try things, that moving him a couple of gaps certainly creates confusion of assignment along that offensive line. It's a positive thing. We also saw him later in the season as a standing inside linebacker picking his spot, whether it was all the way around one end, through the middle, whatever. And I thought opposing defenses had a lot of trouble with it, and that's why they stuck with it. So some good things we saw from Matthew Judon in terms of how he could be lined up. I'm in complete agreement with you, by the way, on the difficulty in getting pressure without the blitz. And that's a broader problem with just Judon. That's the whole team. Yeah, 100% can I think um, it's an issue, you know, across the entire defensive front. The defensive interior players weren't really able to generate much pressure on their own. None of the outside linebackers were really able to just kind of consistently went off the edge. So, you know, that required the Ravens to have this extremely high blitz percentage that we saw throughout the entire season. And, you know, it, it worked pretty well, I think, for the most part because of the quality of the coverage that the Ravens had on the back end. But... I think, you know, moving forward, they're definitely going to want to address that deficiency because, you know, there's only so much you can do, I think, with scheme. At some point, you have to have the guys who can kind of win. It's a natural consequence, though, I think you'd agree, of of being built back to front. When you spend your money on the back end, you're going to have to rely on them more to drive your pass rush. They certainly did that. Um, you know, they had other other issues at the position. A couple of guys started the year, and let's move on a little bit in terms of them. 
they, you know, I guess we'll talk about edge setters at the end because that's such a big issue. We, we really need to just yeah. come back for it for everyone. But they had Pernell McPhee started the year. And I don't know about you. I don't know what your thoughts were about Pernell McPhee, but I saw what he played at Washington last year. I saw still a pretty effective pass rusher if he could play a minimum number of snaps per game, maybe 15, maybe even 20. Well, it turns out that's about what he could play per game for an entire year. He just used him up in the first few games is the issue. So he ended up playing 240 snaps for the year, 241, uh, which was 25% of snaps, which is honestly, that's just about what the Raisins could have reasonably expected. But because he was overtaxed, frankly, he was injured fairly early in the year. You know, I think that's a really um, first struggling with words here. I think that's a really good uh, point that you make about the overuse that he had because he was probably playing what 35 40 snaps a game through the first six seven games and i think he might have had some of the best pass rush reps of anybody on the team in that stretch you know he was the one guy who was consistently kind of generating pressure he could win with a variety of of moves um he had a strong bull rush um he could win you know off the edge at times too um he was also a pretty solid run defender i think yeah um yeah, so that was something that the Ravens lost when he went down. And they might have struggled a little bit to kind of have his replacement when they when they lost him to injury. Yeah, I, I thought so too. McPhee, among all of the Ravens linemen, was the best at using his hands. He also has a thunderous first step. That was that was the thing he had in 2014 that would allow him not only just to require a double team by stepping across the face of a guard, say, but also to to uh, beat that sometimes by get making that thunderous first step. Because oftentimes what comes behind that when you go across the face of a guard is a twisting player behind you where you force that guard then to go to the other side. And then all of a sudden McPhee's got this ridiculous mismatch of a center who's turned his body and, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of problems. So Purnell was terrific in that role. He really drove that 2014 pass rush that, that uh, uh, piled up all the sacks. At 56 snaps that year, I think it was. Yeah, 60 was 2006. It was 56 in 2000 and. 14. Yeah, you know, I was looking back just historically over the past few seasons to see what the Ravens outside linebackers have been doing in terms of just generating their sack totals. And it's kind of been a bit scarce over the past few years. Um, last year wasn't as bad. And I think two years ago it wasn't as bad when uh, you know, Zedarius and Suggs both, you know, provided some pressure. But before that, there were a few lean years where you know, the Ravens outside linebackers were getting like 15, 16 sacks combined over the course of the season. And it wasn't really until 2014 that I found that that was a year where they all kind of exploded. When you had Tumorville and Suggs, both about 15, 16 sacks, and then McPhee McPhee. also. Yeah, he had, I think, seven or eight sacks that year. And uh, most of that was generated from his interior rush, which was, like you said, a key to that that pass rush. That was so good that season. Right. So... uh, one of the players, and I guess we talk about him next, that I want to see if McPhee will work with in the offseason. Now, we don't know where McPhee is. He's not signed, like Judon. So he's another guy the Ravens might like back for another year. It's got, I would think it's got to be another kind of a minimum contract again, but maybe it's $2 million instead of $1 million kind yeah. of thing. But it, it's not going to be very much. But I'd love to see him work with Jalen Ferguson to get him using his hands, because Jalen Ferguson does very little other than simple bull rush in order to get penetration and pressure. Yeah, I think that uh, Ferguson, you know, he had some good reps, I think, but he's a very raw player still. He um, he needs to be able to 
like you said, improve his repertoire. Um, I think it starts with his hands, but um, and that's something that I think we saw from Zadarius Smith over the years that he was here. He really greatly improved his ability to win with his hands. He got stronger, I think, at the point of mm-hmm. attack. And he was able to be almost, I would say, violent with with his hand usage. And he was able to chop down and on, on guards or tackles and kind of win quickly um, and not let the, the offensive lineman to kind of lock him out. And I think that's where uh, Ferguson could really, you know, make big strides. If he can, instead of just kind of using that long arm to kind of generate the initial contact, if he can make a move in which he can disengage from the offensive tackle, offensive guard, and really uh, then use kind of his power to get by, I think that would be a great, um, you know, second season that we could see from Ferguson potentially. Okay. Now, Fergie, during the regular season he played 64.7 percent of the snaps that was a truly unexpected trial by fire especially considering the fact he wasn't even active for that first game against Miami so they leaned on him and he's got you know the great news is the Ravens still had a good defense and the Ravens found out a lot a bit about what Ferguson can do and also about what Ferguson can't do yet such that they can send him into this offseason with some good instruction about how to work with his coaches, other players, whatever it might be, in terms of improving his game as a pass rusher. Yeah, I was looking at his snap totals um, before you had me on, and I was actually surprised at the number of snaps he had, especially over the second half of the season. And, you know, he was essentially the, st- the starting offensive linebacker, or outside linebacker. linebacker, outside of, uh, you know, Judon, who was the, the strong side linebacker. And he uh, was playing probably 40 snaps a game. You know, he was kicking inside a little bit. He was playing a little bit at the kind of the three technique. Um, but he was mostly playing off the edge. And, you know, I think he had two and a half sacks on the season. So it's not awful for a rookie, you know, kind of third round draft pick. You didn't expect a ton from him. From the number of snaps, I kind of was hoping he would have a little bit more production. But, you know, that's something that I think we would hope to see in the second season. I think also he could use a little bit more development in terms of his, like, functional strength. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, having an off-season NFL weight room, I think that will go a long, long way for him. Uh, it's, that's, that's a good point. I, I think that the leverage he needs as a pass rusher at this level with an increased level of strength is he really needs both. One, either one is not sufficient. He can't just learn how to be a better pass rush by playing with his hands, and he can't just improve his strength. He needs to have both to, to improve significantly. We saw some difficulty with him as a run defender at times, in particular in that Kansas City game. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the San Francisco game that I'm thinking of. Uh, he got beat several times on that right edge and was eventually pulled from the game in place of Jihad Ward. He played most of the first initial set of snaps. And the interesting thing about that is, the Ravens didn't allow another play over five yards in that game. They allowed six, uh, mostly of Mostert getting to that right edge. Uh, and I, honestly, mostly because Ferguson was not really square with what he should do on the play. So sometimes the right tackle will bait you, and and you know a good right tackle will will get you to come to the inside. And he's he he did that because he's trying to manipulate you in that. Yeah. And he fell for that once. You know he had other times where he was pancaked. What I liked about it was he came back after that game and improved his technique as a run defender. I definitely noticed that. I was I was watching the Jets game, I think, and he stood out in the in the Bills game as well. Um, he definitely kind of 
I think maybe took a personal affront to the fact that he was pulled in that game and he, he really uh, took some time to look at the tape, look at his technique and figure out you know, how like how he can get better and improve. And he has the size, you know, he's not a small outside linebacker like Tyus Bowser, for instance. Like Ferguson, I think he's, you know, he's probably around 265, 270. Like, Six, he seven. This, yeah, he's, he's long, he's long arms. You know, he can really, I think if he's engaged, if he's using the right technique, he can be a very strong run defender. But a lot of times it's just a matter of, you know, understanding what the offensive line is trying to do, understanding the play design. There were a few plays I thought that he was very susceptible to misdirection and to, to kind of um, fakes and things like that. There was a, I think there was a reverse, I saw him running in the opposite direction of where the run was going. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I think he would just learn, you know, with experience, watching films, being on the, being out there more often. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it gets that right. Because if you look at the list of six players who played outside linebacker in 2019, he's the most important for the Ravens to get turned in the right direction. Uh, Jalen Ferguson has three more years with the team. Matthew Judon, he's a free agent. It's certainly important the Ravens sign him and whatnot. Pernell McPhee, we don't know if he'll be back. If he is, it's probably only for one year. Tim Williams is gone, of course. Tyus Bowser is entering his fourth year, which would be his walk year. So we don't know, you know where he'll be a year from now. And then Jihad Ward, also a free agent, who was quite valuable. And we mentioned him coming in for uh, Ferguson in the San Francisco game. Want to talk about him for a little bit in terms of what you observed? Yeah, Ward, I thought, was a really good pickup by the Ravens. He um, He's a versatile kind of, I would say, defensive end slash outside linebacker. He was used across the defensive front at different times in different you know scenarios. Um, sometimes he would be out there on the edge, like you said, in the San Francisco game where he was used primarily to set the edge and contain. Um, there's a f- few games where he was being used more frequently as kind of an interior rush, I guess a three technique, you would say. Um, And he was able to provide a little bit of a rush from the interior that the Ravens kind of desperately needed in in this defensive front where most of their defensive tackles, you know, they're bigger guys who really didn't give much of a pass rush. So he was a little bit of a a change up there. Um, I did think that he lacked a little bit in his run defense when he was inside. So um, and, and that's an area that the Ravens have struggled in the past as well when they're in their sub packages and, you know, they have the smaller guys, you know, lined up um, at defensive tackle teams sometimes will run at them and it has some success in, in those packages. There aren't um, too many times where that's really a terrible thing. If it's third and 10, you're not typically worried about the other team running for a first down. They've got a, still a better chance getting it passing for a first down. And what you're describing with, I want to make sure we we talk about this for Jihad Ward, is Ward came to the Ravens with a reputation as being a, I think, a five-tech, really, with the Colts. And, you know, listened as a defensive interior, but the, the Ravens quickly identified him as a tweener who could play outside linebacker on some rundowns. He did a good job of that for the Ravens in terms of, of helping stop the run and could also kick inside for their race car package because most of the second half of the year, the Ravens used a package that had four outside linebackers on the field with one uh, jumbo, one defensive tackle, usually either Pierce or Williams, directly over the nose. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you chart all of the different packages they use, and I, I would say that's probably the most effective package that they would have over the course of the the season in terms of you know generating pressure and, and the yards per play that they were able to keep opposing offenses to. And, you know, that was probably a role that Pernell McPhee was in earlier in the season where mm-hmm. you would see him out on the edge, um, you know, in base packages or in like the normal nickel package. And then 
kick down inside as the defensive tackle and, and like the dime. Okay, they only had one game where this is true, but they had McPhee and they had the five outside linebacker package for his last game. And they used him with six defensive backs, no inside linebackers, and he was the zero technique nose. So the guys they used on the inside then otherwise were Ferguson and Ward to either side, you know, playing kind of a three-tech, I guess you would call it. Uh, it, it, it can be a little more jammed up. They're not usually spaced out by four in that situation, but, but three or four-I, whatever you want to call it. And then they had two outside guys there, Sam linebackers, which gave that pass rush tremendous coverage flexibility to have two Sam linebackers on the outside. Yeah, and I think we saw you know variations of that throughout the season. And and if you don't mind, maybe I'll talk about Tyus Bowser now because that's kind of a big role where he, I think, excelled mostly um, in the Ravens defense was his, his versatility, his ability to, you know, line up on the line of scrimmage, you know, over the nose tackle, over the guard, and then dropping 10, 15, 20 yards downfield in coverage. I think he might have been the Ravens' best coverage linebacker outside or inside. Um, you know, maybe you can make an argument for LJ Ford. He was yeah. really good in that role as well. But, you know, I thought Bowser's coverage ability was a very important aspect of, of this defense and, and the ability to kind of interchange with defensive backs at times. Um, in terms of the rush rush rolls, yeah, it's that's that's really important because when you have those third and medium situations, you don't want a contested pressure of all of any sort. What you want is a free run at the quarterback. So you have to figure out how you can get that by using your your pass rush assets at the line of scrimmage to drop potentially. You could you can rush everybody too, but when you're making a choice, it's somebody from the line of scrimmage who has to drop. And they had two guys, Judon and Bowser, who were both pretty good at it at the line of scrimmage. And then you rush off the slot. You rush from safety. You rush from inside linebacker. You, you come from wherever you are. And the Ravens were terrific at making that happen effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the hallmarks, I think, of, of Martindale's scheme was using the defensive backs as blitzers and using them very effectively. You know, we saw uh, Marlon Humphrey very regularly blitzing um, off the edge. Um, we see Earl Thomas a lot more than I would expect to see Earl Thomas coming on blitzes. I think he didn't have a sack in his career until this season. And That's I think right. He ended, he ended with two sacks on the season. Um, and then did he get one in the playoffs too? Or is that a, is that a pressure? I'm not, I'm not sure. He had, he had one and a half, one and a half sacks during the regular season. He lost another, either one or one and a half to penalties. Oh, so yeah, it I was remember a, that one. It was a strange situation, but it definitely a, uh, outrageous year that they're using him in that way. It's very different from how he'd been used uh, at Seattle. But absolutely having the defensive backs being able to come free, you know, without having anyone to block. And then it would, if it didn't end in a sack, it often ended in a pressure and, a, and the quarterback just trying to throw the ball away. So it was a, it was a very effective part of the scheme, I think. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Most of what the Ravens need now, and, and Peters is the, is the classic there, if you want to support what Peters does, you need to be able to generate fast pressure because Peters doesn't have the great long speed. They talk about that sometimes, but he really doesn't have great long speed. What he does have is amazing understanding of where the pass is going. He'll try and bait the quarterback. He'll try and undercut routes. But to do that, he needs to not be beaten on a secondary route. So if you're going to maximize what you get from Marcus Peters, you've got to make sure you get quick pressure off the edge. The Cincinnati game was one where I don't know if you remember this, but the, the, the pick six he had in this game the announcer, who's an ex-quarterback, it might have been Gannon, said, mm-hmm. oh, three-step drop, quick pass outside. And obviously, Peters understood exactly what was coming, undercut <laughs> Erickson, took it to the house. 
And he didn't have to be right very often because if he's starting with an out route, if he sees the first indication of an out route going, um, it's going to take time to switch to that secondary route to get upfield and get a pass that's that's catchable for a big game. Yeah, I think um, that's a great observation with, uh, with the kind of corner that Peters was, that the ability to create quick pressure really you know, helped him. Even if it wasn't ending in an interception, he was he was in close coverage, able to make a play on the ball or um, make the wide receiver feel his presence for sure. Yeah, I like I I think you know this is one interesting thing, but I think the cornerbacks make the quarterback feel their presence. So if if you're you know going back to where the quarterback is seeing the thing, he may say if he's even, he's leaving on an outside vertical route. We'll just take the simplest example I can possibly give. Okay. But he also says, damn, that's Marcus Peters underneath there. I'm going to throw it where either my guy can get the ball or nobody gets the ball. And just that thought process leads to a lot of additional inaccuracy on those routes. And if you think about it, if you've ever played pool or darts or shuffleboard, any kind of hand-eye coordination game in a bar, you know that it messes you up to say, I'm not going to let the cue ball do this with with the shot while you're trying to shoot it. You know, it's it's just I, I'm it's just one of those things that I think the profile that the that the cornerback shows the quarterback is so important in terms of making his coverage presence known and forcing overthrows. Yeah, it's another. It's really a matter of such a quick process time that the quarterback has, and if he has this one extra variable that he's thinking about, he's just going to instead of being a, you know, maybe a fifty-fifty ball. It, it's a much higher chance for it falling completely out of bounds because he doesn't want to risk it. So, yeah. All right. All right. Outside, outstanding stuff. Let's, let's uh, move on here. So I think we've talked about everybody a little bit. I wanted to mention Tyus Bowser briefly. We never talked about Tim Williams either. Tyus Bowser clearly did, lost responsibility as the year went on in terms of anything having to do with the run. They, you know, they kind of had a totem pole that changed a little bit as the year went on, but Judon was always in there for all, all every snap he could be. And then initially McPhee was the was the guy on the opposite side, and then I think that Ferguson was the guy on the opposite side, maybe Tim Williams for some in a, in a replacement package very early on. And then Jod Ward when they, when they got him. But the, the constant in this is that Tyus Bowser really became a pass rush and cover specialist as the season went out and was playing in many more of those race car packages where his, his specific talents are really very well suited. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I think, you know, the Ravens had enough versatility that they can say, we'll use our outside linebackers in the positions where they're best fit. And especially when you don't have guys who are especially dominant in one area, you don't have anybody who's like an elite pass rusher, I would say that you need to keep on the field in this role at all times um you can kind of mix and match them as you know the the scenario suggests and with bowser i thought he had a few really nice um instances where he was able to rush the passer um even in a few of the the four-man rushes that the ravens were able to generate some pressure i think he was one of the guys who was in there a few times and there were a few nice reps that i saw him have you know he had he had a few like uh quick pressures off the edge. I think there's one where he was on a tight end and that was a situation where I've seen Judon a couple of times and Judon will generally beat a tight end pretty simply. Um, and Bowser was in a similar situation and he, uh, against the Jets, he came off the edge, beat the tight end and he sacked the quarterback and ended in a fumble. And 
I think that was one of the nicest pressures I've seen from Bowser in his, you know, his three years he's had here. Um, and I think he could potentially be used a little bit more as a pass rusher. Um, we'll see next year, depending on what the situation looks like. But I think that could be a role where he has a few more snaps um, as kind of that situational pass rusher guy, and not just the guy who drops in coverage. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, he was both. He had five sacks this last season. So yeah. is, you want to be able to do both. One thing, I, I, I don't think there's any danger to his job. I think what the Ravens are able to accomplish blitz-wise with him and uh, Judon both on the outside at the end of the year was too special for the Ravens to give up on it. And certainly if Judon leaves for any reason, doesn't want to do the franchise tag, gets in a spitting match with the club, whatever it might be, uh, I don't see any way that the Ravens can be without with, be without Bowser for next season. No, I think he's definitely um, one of the, you know, more secure like locks on the roster for next year. They, they definitely need him to be that guy you can cover at the very least. And, and they don't have that many bodies necessarily at outside linebacker either. I mean, like you said, it depends on free agency who comes, who goes, but I think he's going to have, you know, a role that's at least probably what we saw out of him this year and potentially even more, I think. Well, three guys that are UFAs among this group of six and one of them who's already gone. And the guy who's already gone, of course, is Tim Williams. Right. Uh, cut after the fourth week. He'd had off and on issues with the coaching staff. I know some run-ins with on special teams um, with Rosberg uh, originally and probably with Harbaugh as well because Harbaugh, being a special teams coach, is not one to put up with lackadaisical or, or play where it's clear that the, the player doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And and that was that was something that – you know, I was a little bit surprised by it. I thought he was the guy who needed to develop as a pass rusher this year and probably get three to 400 snaps given McPhee was there. But uh, that did not turn out to be the case. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's a bit um, of an attitude, maybe, problem that he had. Um, like you said, run-ins with the coaching staff, unwillingness to be a special teams player. Um, as a guy who's, you know, your fourth, fifth string outside linebacker, you kind of have to be more than just a situational pass rusher if you really want to provide value. Um, I think that he was a guy that I was wrong on very much. I was very high on Tim Williams um, as a prospect. I was very high on him every preseason. You know, mm-hmm. We saw him looking good in the preseason. He would get all these pressures all these quarterback hits a few sacks and we're like this is the year that he's going to break out i think the past two years i thought that would be the case and then it just never came to fruition i think last year he probably had some of the better pass rush ability um and certain packages we saw but he was very limited he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't playing very many snaps and i think that kind of affected him i think he probably fed into his i'm up i'm you know i'm upset with my role i want to be out there more but you know he, he didn't really his play didn't dictate that he should be out there more so very very true now he was on 54 of his 67 snaps this last year and i exclude penalties neil spikes etc so this this number is going to be slightly lower than other published sources but 54 out of 67 snaps were pass rush snaps so he was in there trying to rush the passer on downs where that was appropriate and not really for any other job and uh, you know, it's it's something that that it's a very it's a highly specialized role, and I think also there's probably a pretty good chance to be wrong on that when you're watching a preseason and you're watching a guy playing in the second half of a lot of games, who's winning some of his matchups, 
as a pass rusher against guys who are a year or even two years behind him developmentally. I think that's definitely the case. And that's one of the dangers of the preseason, especially with a team like the Ravens who are generally very dominant in the preseason. They have more depth than pretty much any team that they're going against. And they just have better twos and threes than other teams' twos and threes. So they're going to look good in the preseason. And, you know, individual players sometimes are hard to really evaluate when they're kind of the end of the roster guys. All right, so let's let's try and attack this problem from a different thing. The, the Ravens have, as I would say it, only a couple of guys who they can really, I don't even know if count on is the word. Um, they don't have McPhee. They don't have um, Jihad Ward. Uh, and, and so they're going to need to decide, you know, see if they're able to re-sign those guys. But they're going to have to try and figure out who their run defenders are big time, and Judon as well, if they don't get any of those guys back. Because those are their three best run defenders. Yeah, that's going to be an issue, I think. Um, especially on a team that likes to use the outside linebacker to set the edge. It's, it's an important... I mean, it's obviously, that's part of the, their role, but the Ravens are very, you know, we want to stop the run. That's always been the mantra. You you don't want guys like Bowser out there. They showed that. You don't want him. He's smaller. He's probably around 250, 6'2". That's, that's pretty small for a Ravens outside linebacker traditionally. And I think you need to have someone who has more size, someone who would be able to, you know, consistently, you know, stand up to these, a lot of these uh, zone blocking schemes that, the Ravens really struggled a little bit against this year and some of the outside stretch runs. Um, they need to have at least one player, I think, brought back who's an, a larger kind of run defender who can be in there and, and really set the edge consistently and not have to be um, a, a concern on a, on a game-to-game basis. All right. Now, I want to make a point here because the Ravens have made it more difficult in 2019 to set the edge relative to previous years. And that is because they're playing a lower and lower percentage of their base package. So they have, they do have a nickel where they play three defensive linemen. That's, I call it jumbo nickel. Mm -hmm. They also have their, their base package, but basically, you know, when they only play two defensive linemen, the Ravens teams of old always had great outside linebackers who could set the edge. And we'll talk about Suggs really the greatest of his generation, Burnett and Jarrett Johnson. Uh, you know, just unbelievable edge setters that they didn't have to worry about. They always had enormous men in the middle who would hold their ground. Siragusa, Adams, Nada, you know, now Williams and Pierce, and they still have that, fortunately. And then they always had middle linebackers, inside linebackers, who could do the job behind them. They, you know, even Ray Lewis was there for, for most of the entire time, obviously, but they had Bart Scott, they had Daryl Smith, they had other guys who, who understood football very well in terms of what their assignment was and going to the football. But the Ravens have changed in terms of their packages. And I want to give you some numbers here by percentage by packages. The Ravens played with three defensive backs on 1.3% of plays in 2019. By the way, this is all season, including the one postseason game. Okay. Okay. Base defense. Do you have a guess how much base defense they played? I would say less than 5%. Okay. 10.6%. It's extremely extremely low. They played uh, 15.7, I think, the previous year. So it's it's down even more. Yeah. They even announced it in, in terms of things. Very low percentage. Played a lot against the Rams when they played them played them there. Then nickel, which is you know the two four five, which they're going to be in a lot of the time to try and stop the run. About what percentage would you say there? Maybe 30, 40 percent. 45.9 percent. So it really is their primary defense. Yeah. 
And then the dime, 38.3%. So they're really skewed in terms of how they want to line up on the field to get their pass defenders or their run defenders, but not both on there at the same time. And that, that race car package was a big part of that. So in that in that dime package, they have one defensive tackle. Is that the one where you have a, either a Pierce or a Williams out there, essentially? And then you have four outside linebackers? Is there's, that... there's two versions of it. And Harbaugh okay. made a point in an interview. And there's, there's really two commonly used versions. There's probably others as well that he would call a different package that I don't. But the, the four outside linebacker package is the predominant one down the stretch. That's most of them where they play one defensive tackle, usually either Williams or Pierce, right over the nose and then six defensive backs with no inside linebacker. But they also had another where they put it, kept LJ Fort in the game at inside linebacker, um, played a four-man rush up front, played a four-man rush up front with the, uh, uh, you know, may- maybe one guy kicked inside and one heavy still. And then also uh, had, had uh, uh, six defensive backs there that way as well. That, that was very... That package really helped the Ravens in large part because it really aided in getting defensive signals in quickly, starting with that New England game. The ability of Clark to get the blitz calls in quickly against the New England no huddle was an absolute revelation for this team. And it it really worked out very well. So you think that his ability to kind of be a field general, and I'm talking about Clark now. Yeah was a, a real difference in terms of his role versus Jefferson. You think he was more of a communicator out there? Is that something that you saw, or is that just something that I'm just imagining? No, I think I think it's true. I think there's two things I would say about it. Number one is Jefferson played more on the back end than Clark did, and, and Clark was more of the dime guy when he was in, and they moved Carr to the back end, if you remember. They, they took him out of cornerback. They moved him to the back end in those dime packages. And that doesn't mean he couldn't blitz also, but most of the time he was up close to the line of scrimmage. And that's kind of an ideal place to get those blitz packages set and communicated. So some of it was a positional advantage. And the other thing you hear about Clark is that he's the smartest guy in the DB role. And and then we heard it about Peters, of course, too, afterwards. Well, it's it's quite an advantage to have two players who are, you know, film junkies and able to, you know, see what's happening on the field very well and be able to communicate that as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. All right. Uh, well, great. Well, Gabe, I appreciate you coming on here. I think this has been a good discussion. Hopefully it whets people's appetite for this offseason in terms of uh, of what we're doing with these positional reviews. And uh, we'd love to have you on again for another positional review if you'd like to do it. We've still got a, a, one or two on offense and a couple more on defense left as well. Uh, we also have some work, and this may be more in your uh, bailiwick that relates to the draft as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, come come on again and uh, talk about the draft. That would be something I'd really enjoy doing. And I think um, if you have just a minute, maybe we could prognosticate about what will happen with these outside linebackers because, you know, half of them are, are not going to be under contract as we speak. So um, so I think Judon, you know, he's the, he's the one who is the biggest name, obviously. Um, I think he's going to be franchise tagged. Yeah, I agree. And and by the way, you, you mentioned that it's going to take up a high percentage of the cap. The the pressure will be very great to get Judon signed to a long term deal for both sides. So I think they'll they'll get that done, and they'll actually reduce the cap hit for the first couple of years, which will allow them to use the early Lamar Jackson window here, the first four years of Lamar Jackson's contract, to better advantage to the team in terms of a chance to make the Super Bowl. What do you think a long term contract for Judon would look like in terms of the average per year? Uh, it's really hard to say. 
you know, so I guess as an outside linebacker, he's he's at sixteen point three or something. So is the is the franchise tag. I think you'd look at that as a starting point, and then you tack on additional years. You give him a decent signing bonus out of the thing. You want a situation where everybody is happy out of the thing. But let's say four for seventy six, maybe nineteen million per year, might be a reasonable. Number I don't know I don't know if that really makes sense anymore. I mean I expect sky, salaries to skyrocket again this yeah. year. There's a lot of free money out there waiting to be spent, but uh, you know that's that's kind of the number I'd like to see it done for. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty hefty chunk of change, but um, we'll see if if they decide that he's he's as important as uh, you know that that contract would suggest. Um, I think he might play under the tag this year, and then. We'll have to wait and see because I'm a little more hesitant to to give that kind of money to a player that I think is more of a complementary outside linebacker in the traditional scheme. I think his role in this scheme is larger than what he would be on another team, and that might actually give him some bargaining power. Um, but you know, I think he'll play this year for the Ravens, and then I'm not sure about that afterwards. All right. Okay, so let's let's hear your prediction on Pernell McPhee then. So I think McPhee is a guy, like you said, like to come back for maybe another single year, kind of one year, maybe one and a half, two million dollars. I think that would be a good amount for him. Um, he definitely proved that in a limited role, he can be very valuable, and I think maybe the Ravens will learn that they need to limit his snaps next year if they bring him back. Um, but I think his value is definitely there for that kind of money. Um, and, and I think with, I think Ward is another player that they would like to bring back maybe on like a two to three year deal. Um, you know, not, not, nothing huge, maybe something like what they gave to, um, Fort, um, you know, maybe three to 4 million average. Um, but I think both of them would definitely, important for kind of the edge role like you said in terms of setting the edge and then also you know the ability to move inside on on certain packages as, as a as a you know a, a interior pass rusher now he's a player who i believe is going to be in some demand and the main reason is that jihad ward is still only 25 years old 25 years 270 270 days as of today so he won't be only be 26 when the season starts and I just think, you know, he's a quite a he's potentially a value pick. And I really like free agents where you get them for 26, 27, 28 kind of years instead of getting them for 30, 31, 32 kind of years. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think he, teams might be a little hesitant to give him a you know hefty contract because the accounting stats weren't really there with him, even though he played a decent number of snaps. He didn't really pick up a lot of, you know, quarterback hits or sacks. Um, I think he was a, definitely a, a valuable piece of the defense this year, though. So I would, I would like to see him brought back for sure. All right. So those are the three free agents. Then you have Tyus Bowser, who will be back as a Sam linebacker, obviously playing his fourth year, his walk year. Uh, is there anything to say about him that you would do differently about his about his role? Would you increase his role, try and make him a run defender? Or would you just you think he's good where he is in terms of playing those pass defense snaps? You know, I like him as a pass defender, um, especially, I think, as the Ravens continue to be more of an offensive team, they're going to get a lot of leads. I would like to think with the offense being you know, as dominant as they were this past year. Um, and I think most teams are going to try to, you know, pass on them. They're going to have to, they're going to be down 
they're going to be um, trying to pick up those chunk yardage. And most teams, unless you're San Francisco, unless you're Tennessee, I guess, unless you're Buffalo, mm-hmm. they really, uh, you know, they're still passing, passing most of the time. It's a passing league, so I, I would say. Um, so I think more snaps I would like to see for him as a pass rusher. Um, but I don't necessarily see him being out there on early downs, for instance. Okay. I think that may actually mean he's out there for less total snaps. And I'm in agreement, I think, with just about everything you said. Ferguson, uh, you know, obviously needs to get better. In my mind, he's the most important player. This offseason is the most important to him over any other defensive player in terms of improving his position-specific skills. Yeah, you definitely love to see some improvement year one to year two i think if he, if he can improve his pass rush repertoire get stronger on the edge um, really use his frame to his full potential then and actually become you know kind of five to eight kind of sack guy you would like to have in, in a second year i think would be a nice leap to see from him is it fair to say and maybe this is too high a expectation for him but Ferguson seems to be very similar in terms of frame and size and whatnot to Carlos Dunlap and I'd love for him to have the same sort of career Carlos has had in terms of really being able to use his length to deflect balls to use his length well to hold the edge and to use his length well to get around tackles and tight ends that are that are trying to block him that you know that might be a good comparison I think Dunlap might actually be a little bigger um, I think he's more athletic too um, than Ferguson, but that might be kind of like your high-end expectation of what of what Jalen could become, um, and that would definitely be someone that you would like to have on the roster for you know the next decade if he becomes that. Yeah, you'd love for that, obviously. Carlos Dunlap, six six two eighty five, and uh, Ferguson. Let's just get this right here. Is well, this isn't right. That's Jason Ferguson. That's not right. <laughs> okay. I want to get this right because I think he's 6'7". He's actually taller. Wow. Yeah. So, Ravens, there he is. Six, well, now it's 6'5", 275. So you're right. He is a little smaller. Okay. Well, very good. Always worth talking through this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I them. Dunlap is one of those, you know, really unique players who's just been around for a very long time. He's a lot better than you realize, I think. And we look at his career, he's just one of those guys who's been one of the better edge defenders in the past decade. Yeah. All right. So they'll, uh, uh, hopefully they'll figure this out. It's obviously, I think, the most complex position for them to decide what they're going to do this offseason with the free agency going on there. They've really got to get a sense pretty quickly of who they can get back here, whether Ward or McPhee are reasonable possibilities at the right price, because they will be right player, right player, right price deals. They're not going to be someone there where they're willing to spend anything. Absolutely. I think that's going to be, you know, the approach that the Ravens take for most of the players that they're signing. You know, a few exceptions might be a player like Judon. Okay. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this with you, Gabe. Tell us uh, again now where they can find your work. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Um, we're a Baltimore-centric blog, um, all things Ravens, Orioles, Maryland Terps. And, you know, I should have an article probably in the next week or two, kind of just looking at things that the Ravens are going to want to do in the offseason in terms of just roster construction, I think, generally. Um, you know, areas that they would like to improve on. And, you know, be that team that makes it to the Super Bowl, I think, would be obviously the goal. And, they were 
a few areas maybe a little deficient this past year and you know what can they do to get better um and then yeah you can find me on twitter uh gabe fergie at, at uh is my handle at gabe fergie so um i'm pretty active twitter guy but um especially more during the season but i think once the draft starts coming around then i'll definitely be uh very active discussing draft things as well yeah for ravens fans out there you know, and it's a lot of the people watching the show. You definitely want to be following with Gabe because you'll get a high level of interactive talk. Take good care of your flock. You talk to them when they ask you questions. Absolutely. All right. Very good. That's that's important. And, and you know, obviously, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. So, Gabe, appreciate you having you on. We're looking to do more of film study shorts this off season. If you have a study you've done you'd like to present, we'd love to have you on to talk about it. If you have a model, we'd love to have you on to talk about it. If you have ideas about how the Ravens ought to approach the draft. I'm probably going to have five or six different opinions on that before the draft comes comes on. I want to get a, a very diverse set of people. Uh, hopefully, I know we do see on Twitter an awful lot, game. you'll back me up on this, that any skill position player that becomes available, there is a wave of people <laughs> who are excited to get him. Oh, AJ Green's available. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every, I think that, no, yeah. I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, the Ravens, you know, they've been kind of without skill players for such a long time. I think it's a fancy toy that we'd love to see in this offense. Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember when Antoine Randall L sat out a year and like he came back and he said, I mean, I'm, I'm available kind of thing. It's like, who cares? And, and you know, anyway, you, get, you definitely still get people who are interested very much in terms of, of uh, trying to take a shot on a player like that. Yeah, Des Bryant, you know, he's out there. Yeah. Yeah, and he's now he's definitely now in the um, spoiled food category in terms of, <laughs> of the likelihood of anybody bringing him back. AJ Green effectively sat out this year. I don't know if he played a couple games early on and, and didn't, but I wouldn't I wouldn't take the risk on him either. Yeah, he took uh, the entire year off. He didn't he didn't play one snap. I don't think. All right. So at, at 31 or whatever he is right now, I'm I'm not excited about about making a move on him for three years. You know, hopefully they'll find a younger receiver. They did that with Willie Sneed. You know, a guy who was a mid-range performer but was young, potentially still could grow a little bit, and they got real value out of that. Out of that, and hopefully they'll they'll do that again if they uh, if they want to. Boykin and and um, and Brown, I think, can be the 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 primary two receivers in this offense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Boykin is a player I I think could definitely evolve in, in the coming years. You know, he has the size, he has speed. I think he just needs some confidence and some and some more reps in the offense. Right. All right. All right, Gabe, we won't trample too much on other people's material. Really appreciate having you on, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. All right. Thanks for having me, Ken. Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. 
It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.